Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our special guest, Dana Golden. Dana is the co-author of Addiction Rescue, The No BS Guide to Recovery, and is a nationally known advocate for families struggling with substance use disorder. Having lived on the other side of addiction for most of her life, Dana understands navigating through the wreckage that substance use causes. It is her passion to bring hope, healing, and inspiration to others living with the effects of SUD, which is substance use disorder. She is a certified family addiction coach, certified recovery coach, public speaker, and it is her mission to bring a solution of recovery to families. So excited to have you here on the show today. Welcome, Dana. Thank you, Angel. It's so great to be here, and I'm excited for our conversation today. I am as well. Now, We actually met at the most recent National Publicity Summit, which is a great place for me to find amazing guests. And so I'm just really delighted that you're here, Dana. And of course, you know, as soon as you started speaking, I knew instantly that you would be able to bring something really valuable and really special to our listening audience all around the world. So what I want to start with, Dana, is I want to talk about you having lived on the other side of addiction for most of your life. Let's let's begin there. Tell me more about what you mean by that. Well, I grew up in a home where my father was an addict. And growing up, I didn't know he was an addict. He was just my dad. But because of his addictions, I became a caretaker to him. I was the keeper of his emotions. My mom was dealing enough with being married to him and raising two kids. So I kind of got pushed off on my dad to kind of calm him down, be his placator. And I learned very early on not to have my own opinions, my own voice. I was just to be there for my dad and make life in the home smoother. So growing up in that environment, I carried those characteristics to all my relationships. And I kept finding myself in relationships with addicts. Mm -hmm. And I did not realize I had a role in that situation. I just thought everybody else, all these addicts had the problem. And when I dated this, a long-term relationship, five years for me was long-term at that point, because I didn't have any emotions to be in a relationship really. So I just kind of bounced around. But he ended up going to treatment. When I dropped him off at treatment, it was really the first I understood that this was a problem. This was addiction. This is what it looks like. This is problematic. I told his counselor when I took him in and I got to talk to you briefly about all his problems and how she was going to fix them for me. And she didn't say anything other than to hand me a pamphlet that said Al-Anon and said, go to Al-Anon. And that was my first introduction to any type of a 12-step program of recovery. And of course, I was very resistant. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't have the problem. He has the problem. And she said, just reiterated, go to Al-Anon. So I did. 
I went to Al-Anon and that's where I started learning that I did have a, a space in all those relationships that I was enabling. I was codependent. I did all the things and caretaking and all those things that keep an addict in a relationship with another person. So I had to learn, unlearn, I should say, unlearn those behaviors. And then I did get married eventually, not to him, thank God. I think we all have those in our life. But I married a man who was a recovering addict. He had been through treatment. He was on the other side of addiction. He had done his self-discovery. He had evolved as a person. And I thought, I finally made it. This is this is perfect. This is what I need. I've been through my recovery. He's been through his recovery. All is good. We got married. We opened up a very successful brokerage firm. We had two girls. Life was great. And then he had knee surgery for injuries from college ball, got addicted immediately to opioids. Oh, Jesus. Okay. And that was the beginning to our, our end of mm-hmm. everything as we knew it. And, and through that experience, when the opioids ran out, it turned to heroin. It kicked in his gambling again. I did divorce him, which took a, a lot of courage because I was not of the mind that we don't stay and fight it out and be there for that person and take care of everything. Mm-hmm. But I realized for my girls, this is what I needed to do. And I did divorce him. And, and then it took him six years to bankrupt the company and land himself in prison for mail fraud, money laundering, and wire fraud. So I learned to navigate raising children in a home with active addiction. I learned to navigate getting out of that relationship and then becoming a wickedly smart woman to open my own business, figure out what I had to do to take care of my kids. Their father, when he bankrupted the company, had gone through all the money we had put away for retirement, the kids' college funds, and I wasn't going to let my kids suffer because of his mistakes. So it was my mission to make sure they got to the colleges they wanted to get to, that I kept them in the home that we were in, that I kept them in a lifestyle, they were somewhat accustomed to. It wasn't like it was, but I did a pretty darn good job Mm. figuring it out without him. Well, so I want to, I want to stop you because I want to like underscore a few things here for our listeners. And I want to go back to, because, you know, part of the reason why I said I wanted to have you on the show is because I too was the product of a, my father was an alcoholic my mom probably also had undiagnosed mental health issues. So it was, there was dysfunction with both of them. And so what I want to talk to you about is this idea of being the keeper of the emotions, the placator and the harmonizer as a child, because I definitely resonate with that. I was definitely, I know now, I have the consciousness now, I didn't know then, but I have the consciousness now that that was definitely a role that I played and and played it for many, many, many years, even as I was waking up, even as I was experiencing my own process of becoming more aware and healing some of the family patterns and some of my own patterns and so forth. I still like that little piece of being the keeper of emotions and the placator and the harmonizer is something that I'm still unpacking. I'll I'll say that. I'll put that out there that I'm still unpacking. So could we talk a little bit Dana about maybe with that piece to start with what if anything that you know you needed to do and maybe you help some of your clients to do to begin to dismantle that 
thinking pattern and that behavior pattern that actually creates this like space for the dysfunction. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first things we go through is the different relationships to the addict, right? There is the enabler, there is the scapegoat, there is the hero, right? Everybody in the family plays a part. And we first identify what your role is, because until you identify and figure out what the behaviors are that are attached to that, we don't know how to replace it with something else in a, in a healthy behavior. And you're absolutely right. That what, what you resonated with is what so many of us go through, especially as women, because there is a fine line between, you know, being a mom or being a wife, taking care of the home, taking care of the things you're supposed to, and then getting out of your lane and also taking care of the things that aren't your responsibility. And that's really what we have to unpack is figuring out what your lane is, right? If you're codependent, you are sacrificing your own feelings, your own voice, your own thoughts and opinions for somebody else's well-being. And that's not for the best well-being of yourself. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because when I was, I was 38 years old before a friend said to me, what is it that you want? And, and the question, what is it that you want was such a shocker to me. It was like a shocking question. I, it was like, I, I get to have my own wants. Really? Like, really? Is that possible? So that was for me, you know, a, an initiatory question for me to, to get even the awareness that it was possible for me to have my own wants. So the the next thing i wanted to unpack about the the beginning story here is you said alanon you were told to go to alanon one of the places i was told to go early on in my journey in my 20s they told me to go to adult children of alcoholics and i want to honor everyone who's in those programs i want to honor those programs immensely and i also am curious about your thinking about is it sometimes that people then end up having the same addiction behaviors that it moves the coconuts? It's like moving the coconuts. Like we might heal this thing, but now we're addicted to going to a meeting every Wednesday at 6 p.m. I have to be at the meeting. I have to be at the meeting kind of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're kind of talking about cross addiction. Yes. And, yeah. And so I talk about this in the book we wrote, Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery. So there are some healthy addictions. I mean, to be human is to be addicted to something, right? I mean, whether it's ice cream or or candy crush on your phone or, you know, I mean, we all have something we kind of obsess over, partake in, right? But when I talk about addiction, I'm talking about behaviors that are causing severe consequences, could be life and death, that's causing a complete imbalance in your life, that's making other people go, hey, wait a minute, you know, this isn't serving me, right? If you're going to a meeting once a week, I don't think that's a bad habit. I do believe, like you said, on our road to our journeys, you went to adult alcoholic adult children of alcoholics, I went to Al-Anon, there are so many avenues to get help, right? And we're constantly evolving and, and doing our personal development and continuing on. So I think anything that you can find for the development of yourself isn't really a bad thing. I agree. I agree. Okay. So the, the last piece here that I feel like I want to talk about before we hit the break is that you married a man who was on the other side you were on the other side, like you both had gone through the recovery process, you were on the other side, and then a medical process put him into addiction, into addiction with 
opioids and then heroin and ultimately into prison. And part of the resonance is my son ended up after surgery, getting on opioids, then ended up in heroin and then ended up after being high on fentanyl and benzos and threatening to kill me, have locked me in the basement and had me locked in the basement and threatening to kill me. Thankfully, I was able to get out, but it was going to prison that actually broke the addiction cycle that was happening between my son and I. So yes, it's a different thing when it's your husband than it is when it's your child. And that's a place where I know the enabling behavior was even exponentially harder to bring to completion. And it it literally took a crisis to bring it to completion. So I'd love to have you speak briefly, if you could, about how the process went where he ended up being recovered and then and then addicted. Well, I say also in the book that recovery is a lifelong journey, right? You can't you can't set it aside. It's a mindful practice. Just like if you're doing yoga or meditate, it's a practice, right? Being mindful of your recovery on a daily basis. And when you get going in life, you know, we can get off of our practices a little bit. And that's exactly what happened. He got comfortable. He got complacent. He started journeying away from his good deeds in the world of recovery and started paying more attention to himself. And addiction is a very selfish disease, right? And relapse is so easy to happen, especially when you're prescribed, you know, and he was a first generation opioid guy, right? He, mm-hmm. it was, they, they were safe. They were the new great thing on the market. So he was just doing as he was prescribed. But that journey down is so fast if you're not being mindful of it. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about those warning signs in the book. So it really yeah. helps people stay present. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the book. We're going to talk about where you can find out more about Dana and how she's helping people. But right now, Wickedly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you are enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also like to ask you to share with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. I do want to say thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We are now welcoming thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads from all over the world. We have 98 countries who are tuning in, and I want to shout out this week to our listeners in Malaysia, in Jamaica, and in Croatia. And we will be right back with Dana Golden. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by women in transition, women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your Wealthy Life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Dana Golden. 
To find out more about Dana and her body of work that she does, you can go to theliferecoverycoach.com. And Dana, tell us what people are going to find when they get there. We have services for everything having to do with addiction and recovery. So everything from interventions to even just a consultation to find out, you know, are you dealing with an addiction crisis? Is this time to intervene? So everything from interventions to sober coaching to family addiction coaching, sober companions, sober escorts. We speak publicly. We love to spread our message in schools to school age kids to understand prevention and awareness of getting addicted. We've spoken in prisons before, corporations, professional athletic teams. So anywhere where we can spread that message of what addiction does, how it can be so destructive, and then the hope and healing that can come out of it if Mm. you take the time. Yeah, beautiful. So please make sure that if this is an issue that is impacting you or your family, that you go to theliferecoverycoach.com and check out all the things that Dana has to offer. And if you are a listener who wants to bring in a great speaker, I'm sure that she would be happy to be booked. (laughs) So Dana, let's talk when, before we went to the break, we were talking about this slide back in that happened with your husband. And you mentioned that there were some warning signs. So can we talk a little bit about those warning signs and what you might offer to a client, or you might want to tell a client's story, what you might offer to a client through your body of work that would help them to be more proactive earlier in a, in a process when those warning signs are showing up. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is that I relapsed as well. So as soon as he relapsed, I went into all my old behaviors too. And it's amazing how even as the person on the other side of addiction can relapse too. So all of a sudden I didn't want to rock the boat. I liked my lifestyle He was happy doing the drugs. I was happy raising the kids. And so when I saw a separation of him from the family unit, when I saw him wanting to spend time at the casino rather than spend time with the family, those are all warning signs. When he's buying oxys on the black market because his prescription ran out, that's a warning sign. There's something wrong. If he's slipping going to his meetings on a regular basis, if he's not connected to the community of recovery, those are warning signs. They were blatant. Yeah. So what did you need to do for yourself? And when did you intervene on yourself in in this relationship? Like, how bad did you end up having to have it become? Like, in my case, it literally became life or death with my son before we could finally have. It was a rupture. And I call it a rite of passage because I'm a completely different person on the other side. And it would have not been possible, I don't think, we would have continued in this dysfunctional dynamic until one or the other of us was dead for us to have transited out of this without having it be such a rupture. So how, you know, at what point did you pull yourself out? Yeah. So it took me a couple of years of warning, you know, you, you need to stop, you need to kind of get it together. And then after two years, I, and, and my motivation was my, my daughters. If I didn't have my daughters, I don't know that I ever would have been able to do it. It would have been too easy to stay in it. We had a really lovely lifestyle. But my mom stayed with my dad till the girls were old enough and out of, out of the house to divorce him. Mm-hmm. I realized how horrible that was for my sister and I. And so I said, I'm not going to do that to my girls. I am not going to put up with a man's crap like my mom did to keep the family together. Mm-hmm. So 
That was my big why. That was, they, they were my motivators, 100%. And so I wasn't going to do it to them. And so I warned him and I warned him. And then I said, you need to leave for six months and try to get your act together. If you can, we'll welcome you back. If you can't, we're, I'm going to move forward with the divorce. And he couldn't. And I was fortunate that I could serve him divorce papers while he was in treatment, mm-hmm. sort of with a sponsor living with, because I knew that would be a safe place for him to go to go ballistic. But yeah. that's what it took my kids. Yeah. Well, and so let's now talk about the money side of this, because that was definitely part of the equation for, for me. I was running my own business from home and, you know, I'm dealing with the addiction with my son and I had been divorced from his father for many years. And like the money piece for me came in to the equation, the way I navigated the money piece was I actually believe now in retrospect that I set myself up to have the least amount of money possible available because there was a, a constant fear because it was my child. It's a different thing than when it's your um, your spouse. There was this constant fear in me that if I had money, that it would just disappear and he'd end up, you know, I mean, obviously it disappeared in your situation as well. So what have you been able to do to like reclaim your empowerment with money? as a result of this whole journey that you've taken. Yeah, that was, that was a huge part of my journey and my recovery because when I left my ex-husband, I had no job. He got the business in our divorce, that business supported all of us. And then he bankrupted the business. So I went from a lot of money every month and child support and spousal to nothing. And he went to prison and he wiped out every account on the way into prison. So I just, you know, I was on a mission. I was manifesting my 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 life as I could see it for my girls that I didn't have anything part of at the time that it happened. And I just said, I'm on a no-fail mission. I will make a business happen. I did. I'm an entrepreneurial kind of spirit. I opened my own company. It was the same thing we, we did together until he fired me when I divorced him. I opened my own firm. I hired my guys. I made it work. I took any side hustle. I scrubbed the toilets at my daughter's volleyball club so she could get a scholarship at her volleyball club in high school so she could get a D1 scholarship when she went off to college, which was great. I couldn't afford two kids in college. So I did whatever I had to do. I did whatever side hustle and I just was going to make it work. And when you have that mindset and you just say, I can't fail, I have to do this. And you put your whole heart into it. You can make anything happen. Mm, I love that. I can't fail. And I'm putting my whole heart into it. I will make anything happen. So I want to just touch briefly, Dana, on because not everyone who's listening is going to have the same circumstances, right? One of the things that you said was your daughters were your motivation. And I'm curious because what happened for me in the in the whole story that happened with my son was after the police came and then, you know, I had this experience where I had to tell the story to the first police officer whose name was officer friend. And then I had to tell the story to the second police officer who was his sergeant. And then the sergeant said, well, this is a felony, like him kidnapping me. It was felony kidnapping is what they told me it was. And so he said, you've got to talk to the detectives because this is a felony. And so I had to tell the story once, and then I had to tell the story again, and then I had to, and when it came to the, like the third time, and they're telling me they're going to have my son charged with a felony. And I just was like, I need to 
take a moment here. And that sergeant turned to me and he said, it's up to you. You can talk to the detectives or you can not. But if you don't, we can't do anything more. And this will be your life. This will be your life. And that was when I was like, oh, hell no, this is not going to be my life. So I'm curious, what do you do with people who don't have their children as a motivator? And what do you think you would have done with yourself if it was just you? Well, the first thing I want to say is that we have to let the addict suffer their consequences, right? We can't protect them from that. That is codependent enabling behavior, trying to protect them from their consequences. And anybody out there is listening, if you are trying to stop your spouse, your child, whoever it is from reaping any kind of consequences, you are destroying them. You are not saving them. Because like you said, Angel, it takes a great disruptor for something to happen and change the behavior. And that's what an intervention is all about. It's a great disruptor to make them see the actions of their ways. So we have to let them go through what they're going to go through to get to their bottom. Whatever that bottom is, we can't stand in the way of it, or we're just going to prolong it and make it worse on ourselves in the long run. I don't remember the other part of your question. Well, yeah. So if if it was just you, like you said, you mm-hmm. had the ch- children as a motivator and I can see that, you know, what if you didn't have the children as a motivator? I think it would have taken me longer to get out. And I, I don't think that I would have made him suffer more consequences than he already suffered. I think it would have, if I had stayed, it would have prolonged him getting to prison and prison saved his life, just like it did for your son. I mean, he says that. I mean, when he was in court getting sentenced, he turned to the people that prosecuted him and said, thank you. I'm sure you've never heard a defendant say thank you before, but I'm saying thank you because you did save my life. And now I have a chance to get my relationships back with my kids and make people proud who have disappointed for years. So no matter what, he would have had to suffer consequences. I would have just prolonged him for a while. And hopefully I would have gotten back to my program and in my recovery. So I could say goodbye. I don't need this anymore. You're, you're on your own. Yeah. All right. Well, we are at the end of our time. And I just want to see if there's one more thing that you want to say to inspire our listeners, if they are in this drama dynamic in their own life, that would invite them to consider having a conversation with you, Dana. You know, I mean, Really, the bottom line is addiction touches every other person in this day and age. There, you just can't get away from it. From process addiction to alcohol use disorder, drugs, whatever it is, everybody's got something going on that that's touching them. And there's there's a stigma around it, but there doesn't need to be a stigma around it. There is always hope. There's always healing that can come from it. And to get everybody on the right path to make those wishes and dreams and goals and passions that they have come back to life, there is a way to it. If you're tired of living the way you've been living, there's another way. Hmm. Beautiful. Well, listeners, we are really excited that you were here with us today on the show and we do love feedback and we're really excited that we were able to bring Dana today and we want to encourage you to get her book at the very least, which is called Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery. And please do let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We'll have that number for you in the show notes, or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. 
Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.